0: pray. Father, we thank you for speaking to us. We pray that you will open our ears, that we can hear you, and soften our hearts so so that we can receive what you say. In your name, amen. Uh, My husband, Josh, whom you all just met, and I moved here from Alabama. So Roll Tide or War Eagle, depending. Uh, Before that, we lived in Tennessee. I'm originally from Kentucky, the land of green hills, uh, the land of rain, summer showers. You know, in the afternoon, you get a nice thunderstorm, mist and fog and moss and ferns, all those plants that when you go... Look at the nursery and it says, you know, keep the soil damp. And you're like, oh, that won't work in Texas. That's where I come from is the land where those things work, um, where there's rain. Um, Our first summer in Texas, uh, which was only the second time either of us had ever been to Texas, and the first time we'd ever been to Texas in the summer, uh, we realized that we were no longer in the land of rain and green hills Uh, there was no rain and there kept being no rain Uh, and it was hot and it was dry and it sucked my soul away. Um, (laughs) The first summer, uh, the first time that it rained after we moved here, Josh and I literally went and danced in it. I mean it was just so exciting to have this moisture from the air. What is this? Uh, this summer which was another really hot and dry one as you all know uh, when it would rain occasionally there towards the end we would go and sit outside in it we just keep talking we just move outside and keep having our conversation while the rain was coming down we like the rain we're used to the rain so when we bought our first house in Texas um, we were having our home inspection as you do and the home inspector told us, you know, just sort of offhand as he was going around, he says, make sure you remember to water your foundation. Uh, you know, the foundation slab that your house is built on. And we thought we were being pranked. We thought it was like a, you want to go on a snipe hunt kind of situation, which is a prank if anyone ever invites you on one. So, of course, we didn't water the foundation. Uh, we weren't going to waste water on the concrete slab. That's, that's crazy. Uh, The the foundation had been laid. Our house had been built upon it. It was fine. Who ever heard of watering a foundation? Um, But then, (laughs) then we started noticing things. Uh, Doors that had been, you know, that used to just sort of stay open or shut would swing open or shut. Uh, We started seeing cracks in the walls in the ceiling inside, which is a little worrying. Uh, Then we started seeing cracks in the brick on the outside of the house. Uh, If we dropped something round on the floor on one side, it would roll to the other side of the room. (laughs) Turns out that all this advice about watering your foundation is not a prank. Um, In Waco, we have clay soil and no rain. So that means that uh, in the summer when it gets hot and dry, the ground shrinks up and the slab, the foundation drops like a rock <laughs> every year. So it drops and so it's like this pounding. And uh, that's not ideal for your, uh, the, the structural integrity of your home to say the least. So we had neglected our foundation and y'all the cost was high. If we preferred for our house not to fall down around our heads, we had to go back to the beginning. We had to work on our foundation. Um, And so, incidentally, if any of y'all need a good foundation repair company, um, come see me later. And if any of you are not watering your foundation, do so. Free pastoral advice there. Um, We thought once the foundation was laid, it was laid, it was solid. We could turn to the decorating and the expanding and the planting of the yard and all the fun aesthetic parts of home ownership. And we neglected our foundation. Foundations are important, even if they're not the most glamorous part of a building project Uh, across the street, there wasn't much really to see for a while until things started going up. Um, When we go to places like New York City or Paris, um, or downtown Waco to marvel at the architectural wonder that is the Alaco building, right? Uh, we don't spend a lot of time looking at the foundations and thinking about the foundations of the buildings. But if we ignore them, if we neglect those foundations, um, problems come. And scripture spends a lot of time talking about foundations, both literally and figuratively, actually. So in the Older and Newer Testaments both, we have this poetic picture of God laying the foundations of the earth in creation. Uh, We just heard the story that Jesus tells of the wise and foolish builders. Um, The wise man lays a good foundation by building on the rock, and his house stands when the rains come down and the floods come. Y'all know the song, right? I have a a kid, so we do this. Um, The foolish man's story isn't so happy. Um, So maybe we can update instead of the foolish man building his house upon the sand, maybe now the foolish man builds his house upon the Texas clay soil. And so when the rains don't come, the house goes flat, right? So, (laughs) Um, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul tells us that Jesus Christ is the foundation on which we build. In the prophets, in the Old Testament, we get this recurring image Um, This recurring description of God's discipline involving tearing down cities uh, down to their foundation, which are still solid. Those foundations are still solid, not built on Texas clay soil. Um, Clearing off the bad, tacky, ugly, ostentatious, showy things that, that the people had built up on them so that God can rebuild them as they should be. And this passage from Isaiah 28 that we just heard is really all about the importance of foundations, no matter how unglamorous and boring they may seem. The chapter starts uh, by talking about the Northern Kingdom of Israel. Uh, So remember that after King Solomon died, there was not this peaceful transition of power as we're from one monarch to the next, as we're seeing in the United Kingdom of England and Northern Ireland at this moment. Um, Instead, David and Solomon's kingdom divides, it splits. And so you've got Israel in the north and you've got Judah in the south. And Isaiah 28 starts with this very poetic, um, vivid description of the northern kingdom of Israel and how it had neglected its call to love God and to love neighbor. Israel had neglected its foundation and God is going to see to it that the necessary repairs are made. Then in verse seven, Isaiah switches gears. So this is where we started reading this morning, um, a nice graphic bit of prophetic poetry to start your week off right. Um, In verse seven, Isaiah turns his attention away from the northern kingdom down towards the southern kingdom of Judah. So Israel's capital was Samaria Judah's capital was was Jerusalem, and Jerusalem, you got to understand, Jerusalem is the city of God. This is where God chose to dwell. This is where he put his temple. This is the only place where right sacrifices could be made. This is where God set his kings to rule, the Davidic dynasty that would have no end. So Jerusalem was the place to be. The holy city, the place from which knowledge and holiness and power flowed. And the keepers of that knowledge and holiness and power, its stewards, are the ones to whom Isaiah is turning his attention here in verse 7. These also, in addition to the people of Israel that we get talked to in the first part of the chapter, these also stagger from wine and stumble from beer, profit and priests stagger. They're staggering around, they're they're stumbling, they're confused, they're straying, they're erring. Visualize this scene. It's like a frat house. All the tables are covered with vomit, right? So it's like a frat house at the end of the night after a party, you know? But this passage is not really about literal drunkenness. Um, Though literal drunkenness may certainly have played a part in the situation that Isaiah is actually critiquing. Drunkenness is a problem, um, because becoming drunk means giving up your awareness, giving up your self-control, giving up your autonomy. Something else takes over you. Um, The Hebrew in verse 7 literally talks about um, um, the wine swallowing them up. So you think you're drinking the wine, but it's actually the wine drinking you. Um, Becoming drunk means giving up your discernment your ability to listen clearly to the voice of God, to read scripture carefully, to learn from the traditions and the insights of the church, of the people of God responsibly. And so what Isaiah is doing here is not painting a picture of a frat house or a bar. He's painting a picture of a church, of a temple, of a synagogue, of a place of worship, Um, in which people have gathered to hear and to learn from and to be formed by the words of God, that their religious leaders are supposed to teach them. And the religious leaders, the priests and the prophets, are certainly there, and they're active, they're doing lots of stuff, right? But they're not really able to do their job to fulfill their calling well because they've given up their discernment. They stagger from wine, they stumble from beer, Repetition adds to this visual, right? So stagger, stumble, stagger, stray, stumble. You can just sort of see them moving around. They're still trying, sort of, to hear a word from the Lord. They're still trying for sure to issue judgments and and provide teaching, but they're failing miserably um, and totally distorting the whole endeavor, whether they know it or not. And apparently they don't know it. Uh, In verses nine and 10, We get to hear what they say when God actually does speak to them. Uh, The prophet here doesn't give us the actual words that he preaches to them in this context, but we've been given a whole book (laughs) of preaching that helps us fill in the blanks. So just imagine between verses 8 and verse 9 that you get a sermon from Isaiah. Maybe some of the things that show up earlier in the book, maybe something from chapter 5, where Isaiah preached, woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight, who acquit the, acquit the guilty for a bribe but deny justice to the innocent. Maybe he preached something like what we read in Isaiah chapter 1, where God pleads with the people, wash, be clean, be clean. Remove your ugly deeds from my sight, put an end to such evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Imagine that Isaiah's just delivered that sermon, one of those sermons. It's powerful, it's bold. The priests and the prophets and the people of power and influence to whom Isaiah has delivered the word of the Lord, sit and stare at him in awe. It's that altar call moment, and Isaiah waits for them to respond, ideally with weeping and repentance and thanksgiving. And then, in verse 9, they laugh at him. and They mock the message that God sent them to deliver. To whom will God deliver knowledge? To whom will he explain the message? That's just weaned from milk? Who does he think he is? they're saying. Doesn't he know who we are? We are the priests and prophets of Jerusalem. We're the teachers. We're the pastors. We are the seminary educated. Why is he talking to us like we're babies? Why is he trying to teach us such basic things? Verse 10 doesn't really come through in in English super easily, so this is my plug for taking Hebrew. Um, Different translations try to come at it in different ways. So you probably all have something different here. Um, but basically what it's doing is it's building on that last rhetorical question. Who's he trying to teach? Does he think we're babies? What's this guy trying to teach us? And then they mimic what they feel like he's doing. He's saying, tsa saw, tsa saw, and kala-ka, kala-ka. Maybe if you were to translate it super woodenly, it's like maybe something like, la-la-la-la. Line, 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 line would be another way to put it. Laws here like um, instructions and commands um, that God has given, but using a babyish word for it. So something like he's just telling us the no-nos, you know. Um, and a line is not a line like a line in a sand, but, but a line like a measuring tape that you use to figure out if your sofa will fit through that door. Or um, a line like a plumb line to see whether the pulpit is is at a right angle or not or the wall that you're building is straight or not so the way they're describing him here are these baby sounding words that they're using they're depicting him like he's a toddler trying to say his alphabet what my toddler Mary Brandon would would call her your, the ABCDEFGs. Um she'll ask us mommy mommy why do you have ABCDEFGs on your shirt or something like that so she only has this very rudimentary understanding of what letters are and what they do and that's what um, these priests and their and the prophets are comparing Isaiah's teaching to what they're comparing God's teaching to here we are the leaders of Jerusalem the leaders of the people of God and he's trying to teach us the ABCDEFGs of God Isaiah's being boring We are trained. We are sophisticated. We don't need this beginner's nonsense. He's just repeating obvious things that we learned a long time ago. He's giving us milk, not solid food. We want to decorate the walls, and he keeps working on the foundation. We don't need to listen to this. The danger of growing up, of getting older and wiser, the danger of education and training and experience is that we can become so focused on um, building and decorating the house that we neglect the foundation. We enjoy the solid food so much that we forget the vital nutrients that are still there in the milk. So we're here in a seminary chapel service. We have the tremendous benefit of time and resources for studying and learning And delving into the most important questions of our faith. We learn Greek and Hebrew, right? We have expert preachers to train us to use our voices and our pulpits effectively. We think deeply about homoousios and atonement theories and missiological approaches and best practices of spiritual direction. We are so blessed to be in this place of rich, solid food. I pray and I believe that God is using this place and these people to build up God's church around the world. We are called to build up the church, but we can't get so excited about building up the walls and what we can do to or on or with them um, that we neglect the foundation. And that's the warning That Isaiah fires back at the drunken, staggering, failing priests and prophets. Don't neglect the foundation. Neglecting the foundation is costly. Isaiah tells the leaders of Jerusalem that since they won't listen to him and his ABCDEFGs of faith or any of the prophets that God has sent before him, God's going to use extreme measures to get the message across. God had tried to tell them in verse 12. He tried to tell them, here's how you rest. Here's how you find peace and wholeness and life with me. Notice that finding rest is about showing rest, giving rest to others. It's the love God, love people thing. So the Lord's word for them, verse 13, will be tzolitzah, tzolitzah, khalikah, khalikah, a little of this, a little of that. I mentioned Mary Brandon a minute ago Um, she's almost three and so I'm living and breathing the challenge uh, of how to discipline overly smart defiant human beings right now Uh, the other day I had to carry her with help literally kicking and screaming into daycare Um, and she was screaming by the way uh, no I want to go to big church, that's what she's screaming over and over again. So I guess there's worse things that a kid can yell, um, but still, uh, Ecclesiastes, there's a time and place for everything, right? Um, So one of y'all can come and sit her down and explain about the church being the people and not the building um, or the music or anything sometime, and extra credit if you can get through to her little toddler brain. But one of the things that Josh and I um, have known I think we all know this, but are trying to learn in new ways now as parents. Is that sometimes you have to let your kid feel the effects of her choices if you really want them to learn? Sometimes you need to let her pop that balloon so she learns not to beat it on the table while you're trying to eat. Sometimes you need to let her get a cavity so she learns to brush her teeth. She hasn't gotten a cavity yet, but I tell her that. her teeth will fall out if she doesn't brush them, so. Sometimes you need to let her actually touch that light bulb, you know, and get a little bit burned so that she learns not to stick her hand in the fireplace, right? And that's what Isaiah says God is going to do with these leaders and teachers who refuse to listen and to learn. He's going to let them feel the effects of their choices, They didn't want to hear the basic milky foundational message. Okay, well now they get to touch the light bulb. They get to learn from the experience of foreign invasion and exile, from the experience of no longer being in their homeland and no longer being the ones in power. Instead of learning from people who love them and wants what's best for them, they get to learn from foreign lips and strange tongues. In verse, verse 13, Isaiah turns the mockery of the priests and the prophets back on them. Yes, they're gonna learn the ABCDFGs of following God. They're gonna get a lesson in foundations, but it's gonna come through some disciplinary actions that God was desperately trying to avoid by sending Isaiah, by sending Amos, by sending Micah, by sending Hosea, by sending Elijah and Deborah and Moses. Um, and all the named and unnamed prophetesses and prophets through the centuries whom God um, had called to try and remind the people, don't neglect the foundation. So sometimes we have to learn the hard way, but God's goal is still for us to learn, and to learn so that we can be at rest. That's the message, right, that he had tried to, to teach us, so we don't tremble, So the life and the church that we build doesn't go splat. And God is a patient enough parent that he reminds us about the foundation and why it matters again and again, if only we'll be humble enough to listen. That's what the promise at the end of our passage this morning is about. God promises that he will never neglect the foundation. Therefore, the Lord God says, look, I'm laying a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a valuable cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who trusts won't tremble. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. And did you notice? Again, it comes out more in the Hebrew than in, in translation. But did you notice that God comes back to that law, 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 line, line, line that the religious leaders mocked? He reminds us all those religious leaders then and the religious leaders sitting in this room today, that the foundation that God lays is characterized by justice and righteousness. The law, 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 line, line, line that God lays is justice and righteousness, and there is no justice and righteousness without God. Justice and righteousness are key aspects of God's own character, In God, all things are exactly as they should be. That's what righteousness and justice means. The foundation that God lays involves everyone being in right relationship with neighbor and with God, and we can't do this without God, apart from God. We can't educate ourselves there. We can't work hard enough or sacrifice sufficiently. This passage in Isaiah is a a weird one in a lot of ways but it's in my head a lot um, it's been important for me as I continue to study and to learn and to teach and to preach and uh, as I got my doctorate and was ordained to ministry and write books about the Bible I've grown and matured in my faith over the years and I hope I will continue to do so but the danger with growing And settling in is that you can start to neglect the foundation. Those really fundamental parts of our life with God and truths about who God is, they seem so basic. So much like milk when we have moved on to solid food. And don't get me wrong, solid food is important. It's good. Keep studying to show yourselves approved. But also remember that Jesus said we're supposed to be like little children. Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar, talks about the need for us to have um, an abiding astonishment about who God is and what God has done. We should never get to a place where we scorn the foundational stories of our faith or the foundational gospel message that in the image of God, God created you or that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god or that god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life or that the entirety of god's call on our lives as christians can be summarized by the command to love the lord your god with all your heart soul and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself What does God require of us but to do justice? Show mercy, walk humbly with our God. Emphasis on with our God. We can only do this with our God, the one who lays the foundation, the one who is the foundation. So keep studying and learning and growing, you religious leaders, you. You should indeed be on to solid food. Keep building. God has called you to important work, expanding the church in beautiful ways. But just like the weather does increasingly weird things here that keep putting stress on our home's foundation, um, there's so many things going on in the world today that keep the work to which God has called us challenging, that threaten to collapse us down right into busyness discouragement self-centeredness so as basic as it may seem as beginner and as boring as you might feel it is remember that the foundation matters keep building but don't neglect the foundation amen